Mrs. Metal episode 68. The concept for this episode came out of something Michael Tope posted in the Into the Combine backstage lounge, talking about the idea of not knowing enough bands outside your kind of core areas, essentially North America, most of like Western Europe particularly, and then maybe sort of Japan and Australia, like a few of the other ones. And he sort of brought up that he didn't know a great deal of bands outside that kind of sphere. And when discussing it, I realised I actually had quite a lot of good examples of bands, particularly kind of from the Middle East, uh, India area, that I was quite familiar with, that I realised due to the way kind of a lot of metal press works, probably haven't got so much of a look in. But not wholly unreasonably, a lot of uh, modern metal press is very much focused on North America. And I, I mean, it, there's no doubt at the moment that the American scene is utterly incredible. But I do think in all of that, it sometimes gets forgotten that with the advances in technology and so on, there's no longer the kind of barriers to entry of even having great studio setups and stuff like that to record your band. So there is absolutely thousands of brilliant artists from all around the world doing amazing stuff that just tend to not get into the rotation quite as much. An interesting factor in this is the the difference between scenes in different countries. Like Obviously, I'm talking from a perspective of being in the UK where metal's been a very much accepted kind of subculture for many many years now but there's a great episode of the i hate music podcast where uh, jason walton interviews his friend ramin, ramin hassanabad who was born in iran and grew up as like a young metalhead there and he talks about like the difficulties in things we just totally take for granted like just buying a metal t-shirt and the you know having run-ins with the police just for looking vaguely vaguely metal and I've heard this kind of sentiment echoed from a lot of different countries where being a metalhead is actually quite a high risk thing to do like you're really throwing yourself out there and putting yourself like possibly at the mercy of law enforcement there's a horrible incident around this in Egypt uh, many years ago that's well worth reading up on if you want to come across something utterly depressing but there, there is that kind of thing of a lot of, like, in the UK, in the US, I think we often too much take for granted that our scene is so well set up. Like, we have a series of dedicated venues, you you have festivals and so on that are just, you know, just drive down the road to get to, like, see amazing international bands. And, you know, most people live within two or three hours drive of regular international tours. I mean, obviously, it's not so much the case in the last few months. But it's it's really interesting, kind of, the resolve and determination of a lot of these bands from outside, like, you know, well-known metal countries actually kind of forging a scene and forging a musical identity without that kind of, like, melting pot of a really good local venue etc so yeah bear that in mind when when listening to something so with this episode i'll just be recommending a load of bands from the nebulous category of extreme metal there's not really any particular order or reason to this they're just a group of bands i really enjoy that you may may well not have heard of
So the first band I want to talk about is the the excellent Gut Slit from India. These guys have only been going since like 2007 and fairly recently put out their second album, Amphitheatre, which is just a masterpiece of brutal death metal. Like not quite into the full kind of slam territories, it's just metal that is entirely focused on being brutal, punishing in your face absolutely excellent production it, these they make the riffs sound thick and huge and then the riffs are just the selling point of this there's so many catchy riffs crammed into the like less than half an hour runtime of this album the vocal performances particularly stand out to me it's a really intense delivery but it doesn't go for that kind of classic brutal death like hyper guttural it's more like, it's definitely low vocals, but there's far more kind of, like, discernible enunciation. And there's some really great use of, like, some higher screams and even some, like, gang vocals thrown in there for, like, the real, like, mosh riffs. The lyric writing and the album cover, all that kind of stuff, seems to be incredibly focused on torture, uh, complete with a song called Brodekin, which I assume must be a reference to the US medieval torture-themed brutal death metal band by the same name. The album also has some great like technical flourishes. Tracks like Scaphism are incredibly complex and when it gets into those faster sections, really quite impressive stuff. And then the album comes to a great close with Death Hammer that starts off with this like far more kind of slow, doomy riff where the bass player gets to really shine for a moment and again fantastic bass tone on this album. Um, one thing I really like about it is the cover artwork is spectacular. It's gruesome, upsetting, and kind of beautiful all at the same time, leaving and kind of leaving a lot of unanswered questions. The artist clearly had a lot in mind for this one. the The quality of it is kind of unsurprising because it's it's a piece by uh, Iliran Cantor, who is fast becoming one of my favorite like regularly used metal artists like he's done covers for most of the recent Psy albums um did that brilliant cover for Unfathomable Ruination Hate Eternal's latest uh both the Venom Prism albums like he's got so many modern classics under his belt yeah definitely definitely one of those artists who at the moment absolutely brilliant possibly could tip into being overused soon but yeah who knows yeah, uh, getting back to the album, uh, Gutslit are just like the perfect band if you're looking for some kind of really brutal riff-driven death metal. Say you enjoyed like the Fulci album from last year, it's got similarities to that. It's far more kind of slick and polished, I guess. Like it does have like a very modern death metal sound, which in many ways works in its favour because it means in those technical moments. You can hear everything perfectly, like the way the drums are captured, although kind of heavily triggered. You get that perfect syncing of like bass guitar and kick drum, and it just makes that really massive sound. Also, I want to shout out, like, although the album title is kind of stupid, very impressive for a band getting a kind of passable pun in a second language into the title. Hell of a lot better than 90% of brutal death metal album titles. And having a track in the form of Maraschino Eyeballs that still makes me shudder whenever I think about the concept. Definitely at that point in death metal, 
hard work to uh hard work to kind of still gross out seasoned veterans of gore one thing i really enjoyed in this album is for the most part this is not a band that do guitar solos like all the riffs are very much focused on being this great like mosh pit inducing like live experience from what i can tell but there is one solo thrown into the album and it's an absolute face melter and i just love the kind of the feeling of like the band is going like oh yeah we can do this by the way we just don't feel it's worth uh, wasting time on that when we've got all these great riffs I've not yet gone back and uh, checked out their first album, but it seems fairly highly rated, so I would definitely want to dig into that at some point. And the band is still active, so I'm really hopeful they get something out soon, because I'd love to hear more in this vein. Like, as brilliant like, and as compact as this is at the uh, like just over 28-minute runtime, it definitely left me wanting <laughs> up we have a band that michael tote himself recommended who i've got really into over the last like a couple of weeks this is slave to sirens from lebanon with their debut ep terminal leeches uh, released in 2018 Th this band are just absolutely brilliant death thrash that kind of really kind of aggressive thrashy riffing lots of that kind of like open string chugging but like more more kind of distorted and more aggressive than your average thrash band the vocals are absolutely shredding there that proper like high pitch real scratching scream the kind of thing that feels like it should be doing damage but yeah just absolutely perfect for me the vocal performance is what really steals the show sort of um on the opening track the title track terminal leeches there is this this bit where sort of like the music reaches a crescendo then the vocalist is just left out by herself and 
does this like long shriek that just goes on and on and slowly decays. I think like she holds the note for like almost ten seconds, and she does this quite a few times on the album, having these like massive held screams over particularly impactful riffing. The performances throughout the album are absolutely excellent. Like, the drumming is incredibly tight and like really sort of aggressive and driving throughout. Um, there's some great, like really tastefully written solos. Like they're not the the kind of like right up there of like the Megadeth shredding, but they they're pretty impressive. And the the quality of writing is amazing. That like never really um, overstaying their welcome. Sherry Beckerard does a fantastic job with these. Like, yeah, she's just written some really decent solos, which, again, like, getting that right in thrash is, is interesting. A lot of bands kind of, I find, overdo the solos in modern thrash metal. There's a couple of, like, interesting uh, departures in it as well. Within the uh, the second track, uh, Humanticide, there's this kind of cool, like, minute-long atmospheric passage. And the album starts with a similar, like, minute-long atmospheric intro, but that does bleed really nicely into the first track proper. Like, I love a good intro when it's, it's well-executed and doesn't feel, like, totally irrelevant to the rest of the music. The album cover is deeply upsetting, um yet more eye stuff. I don't know why I've got two bands in a row with that, but yeah, I, it's a hard one to look at, but definitely fits, really works, really works in, in the band's favour. So yeah, so far, I like this band has essentially just under 20 minutes of music out, but if you are a fan of like that kind of like thrashy death metal, you know, kind of in like the crown sort of vein, make sure you pick this up. It might be short, but it it is that perfect execution of an EP where they're like there is zero fat on it. There's just four really really great songs. The interesting thing for a band this like professional and tight sounding is, at least according to Metal Archives, only vocalist uh, Mayara Karahala is in any other band. She, she used to front a, a hard rock band, a hard rock heavy metal band called Zix, which would explain the, the sort of occasional slight clean vocals that get in there. But no one else in this band has anything to note. This is an incredibly strong debut, and much like Gutslit, it's another one where the shortness of length and kind of tightness of it has made me really want more material from the band, so hopefully they'll start putting out some more stuff soon. Oh yeah, and I forgot to mention the other unique selling point of this is probably Lebanon's only all-female death thrash band. So yeah, well worth checking out.
Next up, we have a far more long-running band. This is Bilocate from Jordan, who formed back in 2003 and have put out a total of three albums. I'm going to be particularly talking about the second album, Sudden Death Syndrome, from 2008. But honestly, I'd highly recommend all three. There's a lot, uh, yeah, there's a lot of great stuff in there. You could be forgiven with this album for thinking it was going to be your kind of standard, gory, brutal death there. And that's certainly the way I, I went into it. I was lent it by a friend many years ago with no context. So I was really surprised to get this very atmospheric, doomy death metal. There's a lot of, like very melodic passages in it a lot of kind of keyboard driven parts and lots of just complex changing structures like a lot of motifs per for any song like the complexity of songwriting is really impressive the, the album has quite an amazing structure actually of like after the two minute long uh, kind of atmospheric keyboard intro the opening track blooded forest is a 17 minute long epic which is such a ballsy way to start an album and it very much i think you know would appeal to the death doom demographic but a lot of others would find that just too much to manage interestingly after that point there's ne there's never another song that crosses the 10 minute mark like they're like the the later tracks like inoculate or uh, pure wicked sins are these quite contained sort of five minute long tracks um the lineup is a six piece so we've got a, a vocalist uh two guitarists drums bass uh keyboard and the way the album's mixed, the uh, the keyboards get the, and vocals, I think, take the real prominent presence. But uh, everyone sort of gets a look in. There's a fairly chunky bass sound to this, which, again, something I, I really like in this kind of death metal. If you want to go for that doomy end of things, having audible bass guitar is, is essential to that sound for me. There's... There's like a few great bits of lead guitar thrown in, but mainly this is kind of a, as I say, a more kind of melodic, atmospheric album. The the band are more focused on these kind of smooth progressions. As I say, the opening like 17 minute long track flows amazingly. It goes from these like really heavy kind of full on death metal sections into these like more drawn out passages with a lot of clean toe guitar and like melodic lead guitar work into sections of mainly kind of keyboard driven atmospheric stuff and then you know back into more really heavy stuff the the vocals are really brilliant uh, on this uh rami essayed is is an incredible screamer for this this kind of style he has this really intelligible low growl and yet another one like the previous album where some of the notes he holds just go on so long it's got this great kind of like reverberation to it yeah his his vocals and that kind of bass tone were like really quick sellers to me in this album the band also thrown a few other like little interesting bits both guitarists also play play oud and there is a couple of atmospheric passages where you get that kind of tone come in which is definitely like the moment of this where you can tell like this wasn't this wasn't recorded by like a western band that definitely throw in some kind of more middle eastern folk flavor but for the most part this does sit more in your traditional death doom other than the kind of the very out there song structures they they after that opener getting to the point where a lot of the songs are 
this really focused core. Like they're not a band who sit on a riff way too long. They they really kind of they're really good at combining ideas and moving through different phases in song. Um, there's something I've always been really fond of in music is that ability to throw a lot of passages of quite differing styles together with smooth changes between them. I mean, that's, that's probably why early on I got really into like bands like Opeth. And these guys pull that off fantastically. They, they really have that great ability to move between uh, different motifs. And it, it just, yeah, sounds absolutely brilliant. The only real criticism I have of this album is, like, the mix, while everything's nice and prominent in that, a lot of the tones, like, aren't incredible. Like, sort of, the tones are good, it's just, like, the overall mix just has a slightly rough edge to it, which they would totally polish on the, the next album, Summoning Bygones, which is another absolutely brilliant one. I'm just slightly less familiar with it. Um... Also, also, yeah, well worth checking out because they actually feature a couple of clean vocals from Dan Swano, who I, I assume must have been involved in the mix for that. Oh, no, actually he wasn't. He's just, just on it as a guest uh, vocalist. That's really cool. But yeah, like, weirdly, his cleans fit really neatly into the sound. Yeah, so just a band well worth checking out. And again, for a Death Doom album, it's one that doesn't overstay the welcome like it's just under the the 50 minute mark the only thing that sort of somewhat lets it down is the the outro track stone of hate which is mainly just kind of a it's sort of like one of the interlude passages things feels slightly drawn out and unnecessary but that's minor criticism in this like for the most part this is an album that just has a fantastic flow and nothing nothing overstays its welcome like the this is just really tight excellent song
just listening to that Bilocate track, I forgot how long some of those screams are. Talking of like Slave to Sirens, like ridiculous ones. That the opener on the Dead Sea, that's like over twenty seconds, just ridiculous work. And yeah, some like really nice flashy guitar work in there as well. So next up we have a particularly avant-garde band. This is India's Amog Symphony, and I'm going to be mainly talking about their uh, debut album, Abolishing an Obsolete System. So, because I'm probably pronouncing that name wrong, I'll spell it. It's A-M-O-G-H, then Symphony, which I won't try and spell out because I'll get it wrong. Um, <laughs> so this is a fairly um, fairly old album, similar time period actually to the Bilocate album, released in 2009. So I could be wrong on this, but I believe at this point in time, the band was entirely visual uh, Jay Singh's project, who is a multi-instrumentalist, um, according to the bio of the band, multi-instrumentalist, Mumbai-based uh, film music composer, producer, mixing engineer, like, absolute, like, kind of renaissance man of many talents. And I believe this album was entirely him, although I could be wrong. Um, it's this bizarre melting pot of different styles. So if I had to put a genre tag on it, I would say death metal. And it's kind of death metal in the way a band like Blotted Science or death metal where some of the core riffing is quite death metal. And although it's a mainly instrumental project with a real eye for like technicality, the this album in particular really, I think, sits in that genre more than it does any other. Later albums, which I'll get into in a bit, move very much away from that point. But yeah, this album is this absolute masterpiece of like technical brutality and then extremely atmospheric music all layered together. This this constant ever changing nature, the amount of like subgenres, uh, like and stuff thrown in there are are absolutely incredible. So the album starts inauspiciably enough with the the opener Opus After Genocide, which um, kind of has this this kind of very um, film score esque, like almost uh, like faux orchestral build up over these kind of like long drawn out tom rolls. And just as that kind of like reaches this crescendo, it kind of makes this weird like almost like phone dial tone type noise that bleeds into the next track cyborg activation which then just suddenly like smashes you in the face with this wall of guitar and bass and like programmed drums this ridiculous like suddenly tech metal um it's like technical metal with a really really loud like slap bass in it like the primary instrument in the kind of more guitar driven parts is is the bass guitar, like, this kind of hyper-fast slapping bass riffs, like, really add this amazing, like, percussive undercurrent to the already, like, deeply detuned guitars. And the playing on this is bloody spectacular, like, just absolute shredding guitar work. And then the song just, like, takes a complete left turn in the middle into this, like, really catchy electronica section that then like bleeds quite neatly into this almost like uh metal corey mellow death um a catchy outro it's really impressive 
So as the album progresses, we get more of this ridiculous genre melding. There, there's more moments of like these electronica sections. There's bits where the orchestral stuff like comes back in, but layered over the the, the kind of extreme metal elements. And, and throughout it as well, this isn't just a gimmicky album. There's just really good riffs, like really catchy melodic lead sections. Then there's like brilliant little bits of acoustic guitar these kind of occasional like ephemeral female vocals mixed into some of the more melodic passages like there, there's just so much going on there a particular standout track for me is swallow the swallowing the infected sun which has this like great like guttural scream vocal over like the the first half of it but then like it makes a brilliant change in the middle where this is amazing like violin passage comes in and then suddenly there's like this like jazzy breakdown it's um yeah it's really really impressive stuff things are brought really neatly to a close by the um by the outro uh post-war symphony which is just a mainly like acoustic guitar driven piece which yeah just really neatly kind of tails the album off. So I should really bring up the rest of the band's discography, like the sound really evolves from album to album, album. and um, Vijal Singh like recruits a few more musicians to help him out and as things go I, I must say I start to find the band uh, just too challenging for me, there's just too many influences like Whereas that first album is very much in the metal realm and the follow-up, the Quantum Hack Code, I would say so as well. By the time we get to stuff like uh, Vector Scan, things start changing quite greatly. And with the, the two-part, like the double album uh, four that's recently come out, it's just so wide-reaching in genre that... I, I find myself struggling with it, but I highly recommend for the more musically adventurous of you. I like I I do think it's great music. It's just it's beyond me. The composition is is clearly brilliant. But yeah, and it's moved quite far the metal realm. It's far more atmospheric territories. Um, actually, as well, like a really interesting point of the latest album. It, uh, featured a guest drum performance by the sadly sadly deceased Sean Reinhardt. So, yeah, one of his later recordings. So, highly worth checking out. And I think for some of you who are possibly more adventurous in music than me, this will really speak to you. But their whole discography really warrants looking over. For me personally, I just absolutely love the debut. Even though it does have that, like, sort of very raw, one-man studio project feel to it, the, the writing is just so complex and all over the place with just such a perfect performance the level the level of musicianship is ridiculous uh, and especially considering it's all sort of packaged up in this very avant-garde experimental sound so yeah that was uh, a mog symphony abolishing an obsolete system <laughs> we
So next up we have a great lurching change in genres with uh, a very new album. This is Almac with their debut album Battle of Tours. So Almac are from Kabul, Afghanistan and is a it appears to be a one-man kind of like homebrew black metal project. But currently there is absolutely no information about the band beyond that. Um, and their, their, their metal archives actually has the note, the band claimed to be from Kabul, Afghanistan, but the authenticity of this claim has not yet been verified. So clearly after Ghost Bath burnt everyone pretending to be from China for a year, um, <laughs> like, yeah, other bands getting called out on it. But let's assume this is from Afghanistan and work from there. So what we have is essentially a very kind of summoning-inspired atmospheric black metal album with a really, really heavy focus on long atmospheric keyboard passages with a slightly kind of like classical vein to them with moments of like really intense double kick work and fast guitar playing. The mix of this album is really interesting where it is just all keyboards and I believe programmed drums and everything else is so sits so low down in in, in that sound. Um there is there is there's certainly guitar in there, but like it's like the whole thing has such a kind of like um sort of synth vibe to it i could almost believe the guitars and bass in it were synth or there is there's a moment on the debut track where the bass kind of like really picks up and cuts through the vocals are your classic black metal high pitch scream but the way they're mixed they drop really low and kind of like quite washed out but what's interesting is i don't think the album suffers for this at all like a lot of bands who mix the keyboard too loudly, I mean, it's, it's often a problem in power metal that makes the whole thing sound too cheesy. With this, the quality of writing is really solid and actually it's just a beautifully atmospheric album. It's really kind of evocative, emotional stuff and the moments where the drums come in really intensely, it does feel very heavy and, and it, the, the changes are really well managed as well. It moves quite seamlessly, like from like oh, the almost two minute long intro of melodic keyboards when the drums come in, it feels just right um later in the album we get moments like uh blood brother which is is literally a classical interlude again really well written and then towards like the end of the album tracks like temple of the old gods and sons sons of Yumea um have these cool kind of like more middle eastern folk influence parts with you know with different instruments adding texture over it. it's yeah, it's a really decent album. There's not, I haven't got too great a deal to say about it because it is just this incredibly atmospheric thing, as I say, very in that summoning vibe. But because there's no extraneous information about the band and this only came out like just under two months ago, I should mention the cover is absolutely brilliant, actually. Um, I assume it's uh, like a an old famous painting, but it's not not one I recognise and it yeah, this this fit this really fits the kind of aesthetic of it, this very um like very brutal seeming battle scene, you know, fitting with the title Battle of Tours. But yeah, if you're into that kind of quite lo fi uh 
black metal, I'd really highly recommend giving this a go. And it was sort of discussing this with a few friends. Um, the idea of it being from Afghanistan is quite believable because th the kind of sound of it, I could totally believe this entire album was made by one guy sitting in front of his computer doing it. It it's it is it's synthetic, but it doesn't feel um, it doesn't feel to me like it loses anything through that. It still has a real like soul and atmosphere to it. Next up, we're going to be talking about a band who are probably one of the most famous ones I'll be discussing, but there's a reason I want to talk about them, because like there's a particular period in their catalogue that I think is absolutely incredible. So this is the Taiwanese melodic black metal band Phonic, uh, spelt C-H-T-H-O-N-I-C. So this is a band who've been around a really long time. Uh, they formed in 1995, and the album that I'm going to be discussing, actually two, but the, the main one I'm focusing on is uh, Seek Bell uh, from 2005, which at that point I think was yeah, their fourth album, and they've released, what, like another like six or so since? So yeah, they, they've got a really packed catalogue. But this album in particular really spoke to me. I, I remember getting into it um, sort of when I was at uni, and it's just that perfect mix of, for melodic black metal of kind of heavy, catchy riffing, 
great lead guitar stuff like these absolute like throat shredding screams uh, vocalist freddie can hold these extremely high extremely long notes um i think it's why he's like uh, the band are quite often compared to cradle of filth but i feel in many ways that's kind of an unfavorable comparison they've got a lot of their a lot of their own sound in there um and yeah they're like a kind of really noticeable uh addition is the fact we have um bass player doris does these beautiful clean backing vocals over certain passages and and then we also have like a, an urhu player i believe is a guest player on this album but um i, I think live freddie often plays it himself which is a, a kind of interesting one stringed violin type thing where the bow is actually almost like built round the one string it gives it like a really interesting sound it's very different from any other in like it's kind of very noticeably that instrument and because i haven't heard a lot of bands using it actually it gives phonic that like totally kind of unique sound so this album um is a lot of like quite contained really like just really rocking songs like uh the second track uh which is quite i think like one of their more famous one indigenous laceration is just just packed with loads of great riffs loads of beautiful bits of lead guitar and then we get moments of both the uhu and like the clean vocals layered over like the keyboard work and just to make a really complex sound something else this album had the certainly over the three before it is the band suddenly got this kind of tight professional production like it this sounds like a really gifted group of musicians being recorded in an expensive studio whereas some of those earlier albums although there's some brilliant ideas in there especially like the first two i i find borderline unlistenable at this point the album goes for a lot of interesting movements. There's there's the incredible Enthroned, which is such a bizarre song in that it's a single minute long, but it's like it has all the elements of a full black metal song. It full it has like 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 great riffs with blasting parts over it, like a full kind of lyrical structure, like this interesting like sort of almost key like short keyboard interlude, but all in a minute. I don't. Uh, it always baffles me every time I hear it quite how much they fit into a single minute of music. And it definitely has the accolade of the best minute-long black metal song ever. I can't think of a better one. <laughs> um, the album ends in fantastic fashion as well with the, the the band's kind of, like, at least back in the day, like, staple live closer quasi-putrefaction, which um, is, like, kind of a longer, like, sort of more build-up bass song which like climaxes with guitarist Jesse having this kind of like solo duel against himself where it just gets into like ridiculous shredding but the riffing is so good it never kind of feels self-indulgent and the addition of Doris's vocals and the the kind of like folky instruments mixed in with the keyboard like just gives it this amazing very unique atmosphere the the drum performance on this album as well by danny is like absolutely brilliant this super fast like really tight double kick work throughout like he is a really solid drummer i should say as well i've been using all their kind of like single names they do also have their proper black metal names as well so uh danny is the 
Azophian hands, uh, Jesse the Infernal, uh, Freddy the Left Face of Hida. Like, yeah, they've they've got all these kind of um, cool titles. Bear in mind, band is a bit hard to Google because they now like insist on. I, I believe it's it's from them. They insist on using like the the Taiwanese characters. I assume Taiwanese characters for all their song names and album titles. But if you sort of go by year, it should be easy enough to find. Now, even more so than that, I want to recommend something else. And this will probably be the first and only time I do this. Is the In 2007, they put out the compilation album Pandemonium, which features three tracks, probably the best three tracks off that album, two off the predecessor Relentless Recurrence, and then another six which are kind of reimaginings of tracks off the first two albums and performed by this newer lineup. So the band went through, interestingly, the band went through quite a few lineup changes early on, but at the point where they got to recording Seek Bell, uh, the band lineup has stayed totally constant now right the way through to 2020. But yeah, on this, this album, these re-recordings are absolutely brilliant um like even so the kind of um the opener proper onset of tragedy does kind of have the simplistic uh nature it sort of had off the first album but it's just so well executed it's, and the the originally is a really good atmospheric track the one though that i am i'm really obsessed with is uh decomposition of the mother isle which originally is like this really simple six minute long track and on this it becomes like a 11 minute plus epic with this long building intro into this super heavy middle section and then like the jesse has this absolutely brilliant like ever increasing speed lead where it starts off with like a melodic solo and then the riff gets heavier and he just starts shredding and the riff keeps building with him and it's amazing you've gotta hear this back to back with what originally happened because the original guitar solo long before jesse was in the band is is incredibly simplistic and to reimagine it to this point is is absolutely amazing yeah all these songs are just like massively upped versions they sound better in every conceivable way and like saying that it's ridiculous because when you think about bands doing a re-recording album, how often does that work? Like, I just like a few I've I've listened to over the years. Like Annihilator re-recording their early stuff was unlistenable. Um, I really didn't get on with say the um, the Bonded by Blood re-record Exodus did, or Arch Enemy doing the Root of All Evil, where they sort of just took the soul out the first three albums. I, it's so rare a band will get this right, but with this, they've absolutely nailed it. And actually, just it, the album starts with these six re-recorded tracks and then the five from the other albums. And it's actually like a perfect playlist of this band. Like, they run into each other really nicely. And it sort of just having the three really great tracks from um, CD Bell is, is perfect because it cuts the kind of the slightly forgettable middle section of that album. Um, I'd say both are definitely worth picking up. But yeah, just in this form, it is so brilliant sounding. Um, also, if you're into this era, they also have the uh, Decade on a Throne live album, which is a great collection of 
like a really well performed version of the band playing i think with like a, a backing choir and small kind of orchestra section a lot of their early material very much of like a very similar playlist to the the pandemonium album now sadly for me i then just the, the band take this massive direction change into a more melodic sound but from this point on i think you're far more likely to have actually heard their stuff and honestly i i, I don't enjoy anything they've put out after this point like there's the odd track that's kind of good but there there is such a genre shift to their 2009 album that i just yeah i i, I totally lost interest and although they're they're incredibly slick band now like their their sound is is incredibly well polished and no doubt brilliant musicians but they've just made a move towards the far more melodic and accessible and, and one thing that like totally baffles me because they were so good on this album is jesse doesn't solo that much anymore whereas on the older stuff he like he has a lead on every single track and he he like his guitar solos are the band's secret weapon there there's just like when the when the songs got to its maximum place what else do you drop like absolutely brilliantly written guitar solo and those those are kind of gone and yeah I, I don't know it it's a move kind of more away from some of the traditional black metal roots this band have and i found that a shame but this period as i say the compilation the live album and this album are just spectacular so yeah even if you heard the latest stuff and don't dig it like go back and check these out because there is some really great material here. At this point, it would be remiss of me to play anything other than Enthroned in its full one minute of glory. So yeah, this is Phonic with Enthroned. <laughs> So for all my lamenting the sort of change in musical direction of Phonic, um, my prayers were actually answered this year in the form of Vengeful Spectre, the Chinese, uh, say, folk black metal band, who are essentially, they just took all the best bits of that era of Phonic and turned it up to 11. So their self-titled debut album is this brilliant, like, heavy blasting black metal riff fest so at its core it is just wall-to-wall -wall great riffing six like incredibly well executed black metal tracks but there's subtle touches to it that that really add something there's a kind of subtle backing layer of folk instruments and keyboards over a lot of parts that give it like a, a kind of slight atmospheric tinge the the drum performance is front and center and this drummer is an absolute 
beast. They just don't slow down for the entire album. It's the and it's incredibly tight. Like uh, it's that kind of production where the kick drums are like amped up to eleven. The guitars are in that super fast like tremolo picking mode for most of it. The vocals are fantastic. The vocals are this great high pitched like. Again, like really strained howl. Like I think this is kind of one of the reasons they put me in mind of Phonic is it's that similar level of like drawn out, long, like real rasping howls. Just everything about this is kind of spot on. As long as you can deal with your uh, your black metal being, you know, quite neatly produced, this is certainly not the kind of backwards of Norway kind of sound. It's a very a very kind of brutal modern take on the on the genre. So the the Yalma have some really great imagery as well. It seems to be a lot of um stuff about like vicious battle uh, and like the the front cover really evokes this with this like like kind of knightly figure crouched down by a flag in this ruined uh ruined landscape filled with uh, dead bodies. And actually, this is probably just me conflating two things I've got into recently. But um, I, I really got the vibe of like a film like 13 Assassins from this. Because it is, a, at its heart, a very atmospheric album. And with tracks like the the Hermit Interlude, which is this, this very like Chinese folk influence thing. Similarly to that film, there is the the kind of combination of of like kind of folky instruments and then utterly extreme brutality for my money actually easily the best Takashi Miki film infinitely better than the audition but um yeah that's getting incredibly off topic yeah so so this album is just a really brilliant contained thing it's, it's only only just over 35 minutes but packs a hell of a lot into that and as I say just nailed it in terms of production in terms of like get yeah, just trimming any excess from it. these these riffs are absolutely brilliant throughout and the performances are just incredible yeah i highly recommend giving this one a go <laughs>
So in the interest of not dragging these out into like a two-hour mammoth episode, I'm about halfway through my list of bad, so I think I'll split it in half here and release another episode in, in a week or so's time. So yeah, get in touch and let me know if any of these bands were new to you or if you know it's all stuff you're already aware of. And as well, please share any any bands you've got from outside of those like normal regions associated with metal. Like there is great scenes, it seems, in every corner of the world, and I really want to make more effort to discover bands from outside, like outside the UK, the US, Sweden, France, etc. Uh, so yeah, yeah, get in touch at um, at Phil's Breakfast Metal on Twitter, Phil's Breakfast Metal on Facebook, or Phil's Breakfast Metal at gmail.com, like all one word. Uh, uh, and yeah, let me know what you think. Anyway, thanks a lot for listening.